Stand by for a start. Racing at $210,000 at Isella Dunn. Well done. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. And as we know, the FBAA is responsible for upholding the code of ethics and standards of practice for bloodstock trade in Australia. And this podcast is brought to you by our fantastic sponsors, IRT and Stable Financial. And we thank them this episode as we do every episode. In today's show, we're going to take a detailed look at what goes into breeding a good racehorse, because let's face it, that's what we all want to do. And joining me to pull apart that topic in every direction is, well, we've got the press here with us this week, Craig Roundsfell from Boomer Bloodstock and Neil Jenkinson, the newest member of the FBAA and a man with a long history of success in his own right. Gentlemen, welcome to the shortlist. Morning, Nick. Morning, Sharky. Morning, Jen. Neil, I'll dig a little deeper on you because we know all about Boomer. You know, he's running the show and everything else. But you are the, the latest addition to the FBAA ranks. I think you joined in February this Correct. year, was it, yeah. potentially? Uh, well, what, what was it about the, the new look of the association that you wanted to get involved with? Um, Mick, I'd been approached a couple of times um, under previous guises, you know, years ago. Um, and at the time, I didn't think there were, I, well, to be honest, I thought there were members on it that didn't represent what agents were about. Um, there were lots of people with their own interests and, and weren't, probably by the letter of it, agent at all. Um, so I didn't really see that it represented what I wanted to do or, or represent agents at all. Um, I spoke to a, a really great friend and somebody who I um, respect a lot about it and um, I just didn't feel that there was any point in me being part of it. And then obviously um, Boomer, you know, came on board with the, with the group and then Dave, me and a few others that sort of have, have driven it to... to somewhere that makes complete sense to me um and you know I, I think there's great benefit in as a group being part of it um so it was more an acknowledgement of, of the work they're doing and I think they're heading in the right direction I think um the transparency of being an agent is important um so yeah I, I just felt it was time just to be part of the bigger group and you know if my extra vote my extra body in the in the group adds some weight to it then then it's mission accomplished for me Boomer, it's always good to get new members on board, particularly ones with great respect in the industry like Neil. And what I've noticed throughout the sales season is the members are, you know, the camaraderie, the conversation, the debate that's going on sort of on site at sales, at the bar afterwards, you know, at dinners. It's, the group's changed, hasn't it? It's, it's, it's really alive. Absolutely, Shark. It's, I'll correct you on one thing. Um, Jank joined this year, but we've had one more uh, ah, member one more. recently joined. So Tommy Oka, our uh, female uh, member, joined the group, which is um, a great addition since um, last female, Philippa Duncan, retired a couple of years ago. So it's great to have her on board. But, uh, yeah, the group's really um, coming together. And we're making up a big part of the market now. Shark, we're at um, 23% of the market, these yearling sales now. So it's a um, significant force there. And the agents, we're working strongly together on ideas and um, trying to drive you know, good practice and uh, what we're all about. 
Yeah, I love that recognition to organisations like TDN, you know, respected media outlets like that. They're starting to pick up on it and recognise and report on those stats, which is great because the more people that know about the association and what they're doing, what they're standing for, I think it all helps and, and we get to a point where we've got really good trade and ethical trade in this country, which is something we all want. Now, gents, the broodmare sales, they're all done and dusted. We've seen, you know, records again, multi-million dollar broodmares being sold. That's all great. That's the headline stuff. But now the, the nitty-gritty work starts, doesn't it? Planning those matings, working out which mares are going to what stallion. So I thought it was a, a, a really good point, a really good point in proceedings to, to stop and, and just work through that process with, with two gentlemen like yourselves who have done this many, many times before and, and to great success. Just help people out there who are listening who, who might be interested in getting involved in breeding to say, well, where do we start? You know, and I guess the great starting point for us in a local market is looking at that local market and what's been going on. And uh, Broodman prices sky high. Uh, it's a good time to be selling them, but it's, it's also a good time, I guess, to be thinking about what the Australian market stands for as far as what we're producing. Uh, Boomer, what is what do you see that the Australian broodmare market is providing from a more broad sense? I think it's um, it's coming back to very much based on speed. Um, yeah, the commercial aspect of it is really driving the game right now, and and I always keep in the back of my mind when I'm doing my matings or purchasing broodmares that you know really the ultimate goal is the racetrack. So you want to succeed there. Um, so you need to keep that front of mind when you're purchasing broodmares or doing matings that, um, you know, the ultimate goal is to be successful on the racetrack. Yeah, absolutely. And when you hear people talk about breeding to race or breeding for commercial success, it, it sort of one leads to the other, doesn't it? I think breeding to, breeding to race and to have that success drives everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, for me, when I'm um, when I'm doing matings, you always want to try and narrow your uh, your risk for your clients, and it's it's for me, it's always a um, you know benefit if we can get the mare off to the start with proven stallions, you know, ones that have shown to have success on the racetrack, and then um, you know that gives them it gives them that added benefit and added advantage to um, be ahead of the game. Neil, we've just seen Nature Strip go out at Royal Ascot and and absolutely annihilate his opposition from Europe and America there just highlights again, the strength of the Australian sprinter because of that success. Is there a danger that we just get a bit on train tracks and, and we don't divert from breeding to speed and, and breeding to mares that are just speed mares? hundred percent shark. Um, like we we're in a, in a position at the moment where if you, if you go through our stadiums, everything is driven by speed. Um, you know, there's the odd horse, there's the odd done deal or those sorts of horses or even your horse now, you know, good mile of it, you know, is bred to probably throw a mile, 10 furlong horse. So there's there's a few trying to buck that trend. But um, if you're buying mares, you know, you've got to be really careful. If you just buy pure speed mares, they're harder to make because, you know, who, who you know, while it's great to have a fast horse, they've still got to run 1,200 to win a proper race, um, you know, in the, in the big game of things. So... Um, it, it opens that, the, the drive to buy those fast mares in the commercial market allows opportunity for um, others to buy those mares that have got a bit more uh, guts, if you want to use that term, to their pedigrees, a little bit more uh, stamina to them. Um, there's, there's probably less of a market for them. 
So that's where you can step in. Um, and obviously, when you're mating those sorts of mares to our fast stallions, you, you still can get that financial result. But the financial result comes from type. That's that's what we've all got to strive for. Is you know, um, type is what sells everything in our market. It's um, the pedigree tells you how much you got to pay for it. That's that's what it is. What about the overseas markets? And Neil, in the past, you've gone to Ireland and you found a, a filly called Perfect Truth, who ended up producing a, a Derby winner in Magical. What is it about the European pedigree, the European type that that can add to the Australian market when you're looking at you know breeding a good horse? I think um, for me, I, I like I like the European market, and that's, that's not to put the American market off. I probably understand the European market a bit more. Um, the stallions make more sense to me. It's obviously more turf running, and as I say, the, the fact that we've got so many fast stallions here, you can go and buy a mare like Perfect Truth, who you know, has the pedigree, um, you know, she, she's a Galileo. She's actually from um, a really uh, good, strong family below. Um, there's actually a bit of speed in the pedigree, and but she was a 10 furlong mare herself, beautiful animal. You can go and buy those and breed those. You know, we brought her back instead of the fast net rock. We bred the speed back into her, but that horse then had the, the depth to, to go 2,000 metre plus. So um, I love that part of it. Um, and I think if you go through a lot of our... Um, our best horses, they're not generally out of our really fast mares. You know, we, we, we sort of, as I say, the, the reality of racetrack isn't the reality of the sail ring. Um, you know, we, we um, you know, Godolph are a perfect example of it. Lots of, lots of their mares, you know, Animo, the current, you know, probably three-year-old of the year. He's, um, you know, his, his mother's a mile and a half winner, a mile and a quarter winner. So uh, I think, me, that's the right way to go. And that's not to decry the American stock. I don't probably understand that market enough. It, I think it's a very exciting market and it is, it's very generated by speed, but I think sometimes you can probably overdo that speed a little bit um, and, and not have the depth of horse that you need to win our really big prize money races at 1,400 to 2,000 uh, on our calendar. Well, I guess with the European style of horse too, we've sort of become accustomed with them over the years from seeing so many come for spring carnivals. But when you're looking at, fillies or mares as potential uh, brood mares in Australia, are there aspects of type that are typical to, to European bred horses that you, you're trying to avoid or are you just basically looking at it as individual basis, their individual shape and making a call from there? That's how I do it. It's, as I say, it's a type run business um, and that's not, that's majority of the sales. If you're trying to sell them, obviously type sells them, but if, you, if your mare's not dropping your type um, that's athletic and racing, even if you're going to race it yourself, um, not to say that it won't race, but it sets you on the back foot, you know, automatically. You go, oh, shit, that's not much. That's not where I wanted to be. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm very much just the animal that walks out in front of me, whether it be European, American or anything else. Um, I, I find, and, and Boom is probably a, a better one to, to talk on the American market, but my little bits of time in America, I find um, their confirmation is much, uh, I can't find the word, it's not as good as, I would like to buy um, and, and consequently I struggle to pay the bigger money. A couple of times I've been over there with good orders and I found very small numbers of mares that I could buy just the risk on legs and things like that. I thought, oh shit, if I take that home, that throws a leg like that, I won't be able, you know, no one will be able to sell it. So um, the American market's got to, obviously you've got to be a bit more forgiving there, but um, the, the English or the European market, um, and I shouldn't say English because the German market's very, very good as well. They're, they're mainly correct, good good bone they, they run on our conditions so um, that's my place of safety but I do as I say that's not decrying America I think there's wonderful opportunities there for the right the right buy when it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds look no further than IRT 
the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible, long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers, and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. Well, Boomer, you spend more time in America than I guess most agents in Australia, perhaps any agent in Australia, nearly there for six months of the year. Do you see that that those sort of patterns that Neil's talking about, that, that I guess confirmation is... is might be a little lacking or a little inconsistent in America. Yeah, I think I think so, and even more so probably in the past. It's um, you know one thing that that's really been changing in America is the medication policy, which is um, especially in the main jurisdictions is getting tighter and tighter. And I think that um, you know horses with poor confirmation are going to be found out once those um, you know they they get back to that level playing field that we're sort of operating here in Australia and and in Europe. So. Um, yeah, definitely in the past, it's been a, it's been an issue, and um, yeah, and there's certain other aspects too that I guess are with America added in as the dirt horse. So you've got a different confirmation there that you have to um, you have to mitigate and get your head around and, and see if uh, yeah you, it, it would work here in Australia. We've seen Newgate, I guess, prominently bring in a lot of American line mares and, and put them to Australian stallions, and with great success too. They've produced a number of particularly fast horses, uh, by doing that. What is it about the American line or the American type that complements Australians so well? I think um, for me, compared to, say, the European angle, is they're a more robust horse. They're a bigger, stronger horse, um, whether it be on the turf or the dirt, especially the dirt horse. You need a big horse to get and strong horse to get through the dirt. They've got a much bigger hip on them. Um, you know, those would be the things. That, and I think that there is that bit more refined quality than we have here in Australia. And I think both the European and the American add in that quality factor that, you know, probably we've lacked a little bit in the past uh, where we've Australian adds in that soundness and the, that toughness. And, uh, but the American, you know, whether it's the dirt racing is all about speed from the moment the gates open, whoever's in front and gets out of that gate and gets going typically, you know, nine times out of 10 is the winner. So um, I think Newgate and, and a few others, Australia who've been successful purchasing out of America have realised that and bought the types that work here, but also those ones that have that racetrack performance over there that have been able to stand up to racing. Obviously, we don't race on dirt in Australia. Um, it's, it's a massive part of the American thoroughbred scene. And what we do get, though, is are those top dirt performance come out here from time to time, American pharaohs and the like, and stand at start. Historically, though, they haven't had a, a great impact here. Have you got any thoughts on why that might be the case? There's been selective ones like Street Cry, Medagliadoro, those sort of horses. They've, um, you know, dirt horses that have performed particularly well. But um, you have to remember a lot of the, in America, a lot of those classic races that, that, you know, in Australia, we want to win the Golden Slipper. Over there, 
you know, the Derby and, and whatnot, all those big dirt races are all generally a mile and a quarter plus. So um, it's they're not the horses that typically we're trying to breed here in Australia. So I think a lot of them um, that work over there, typically when they come here, and for whatever reason, aren't going to work. But um, I think, yeah, when, when, when they do work, they're extremely good. You know, if, if you can latch on when, when they do hit, um, I think they have a significant impact like a few of those stallions mentioned. There's an interesting sort of comparison too when you look at the pedigree aspect with black type and we all know it's an immediately recognisable sort of measure of class where, wherever you're racing in the world. And European black type races, we know most of those key races. We know most of the tracks. But with America, there's still that little bit of the unknown. Um, are there bigger elements of risk from buying, I guess, without without a leading hand that knows that American scene and knows which races and which tracks are that better quality and produce better quality horses? Yeah, I think it's it's whatever say you look at around the world, um, you know, there's massive advantage in using agents that have experience in that um, field. In America, um, I'm fortunate having worked on the track over there and also worked at the auction house and you understand that um, you're not dealing apples and apples when it comes to black type. And the same in Australia, like a horse that wins a, you know, a race during the carnival in Sydney isn't the same as a, you know, off carnival race in, um, in South Australia, for example. But, um, you know, it, you need to have that um, local knowledge to guide your clients because at the end of the day, class, um, class carries and there is definite, you know, wherever you are in the world, there is a definite um, gap in different form lines and different black type. And yeah, that's where agents can really help you, not only in, in deciphering that, but also helping you with the, um, the pitfalls that, you know, they have the experience, the pitfalls that they've seen over the years in operating in those different markets. I guess the other great influence that an agent can have, particularly early with somebody that is maybe looking to start a farm or just has a mare and they're looking just to, you know, breed to race and have some fun is around what you want that, the progeny of that mating to do. And Neil, it's often overlooked, isn't it? You know, people, people just say, well, I've got a mare. I like that stallion. I'm going to send it to that stallion because I like it without thinking much about what might come out the other end and, and, and what result you want that horse to have uh, ultimately on the track. Yeah, Mick, it's, um, it's interesting. As we know, like it's, there's so much luck involved as well, but if you don't set yourself on the path at the beginning, um, there's generally only one way you can go. So um, it's not to say that every good sort of mare throws a good sort of foal, as we know, um, but it's, um, it, it's a good place to start, good types of mares, race trackability, all those sorts of things, all the, the key indicators that we go chasing. Um, but yeah, in the end of the day, it's 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 about just once you've got your mare, she's a mare that you like for whatever reason, it's then mating her the right way, uh, giving her a chance. Um, and and often we'll look back at catalogues um, years after that mare's gone gone to stud the first year, and you'll you'll see reasons why perhaps she didn't get as good a chance as she should have um, along the way, and that can be for any any number of reasons, whether it be a small breeder or a large breeder that sometimes has their own agendas with them, but. Um, there's, there's, there's a few things that you need to try and put in, in place, um, whether it be breeding to race or breeding itself for sure. How often do you see at a broodmare sale and there's, you know, you're looking through the, the lots and there's a mare in foal, how often do you see mares that have been overcapitalised and, you know, the owners have gone to a stallion that they just didn't, it, it, she didn't warrant that sort of horse? 
Yeah, it happens a lot, Mick. It's it's a hard one that because um, the industry is is um, we're a bit driven by the sales companies here. Um, you know, they they determine. I don't want to say they determine what stallion is commercial, but they they work out themselves what stallions they want in their better sales. And and if you're not breeding to those horses, if you if you go and try and breed yourself that good racehorse by horse that might just be off the pace. Um, all of a sudden, you're not getting him into a sale. And if you're breeding to, even if you're ideally trying to breed just to stay in the game or, or get a few bucks out of it, um, if you're not making the right sales, you, you it, and it can be by the right horse. We, we, you know, we, we see that along the way. Um, you know, if, if you're not making the right sales, you can be out of, out of luck straight up. So um, that's, a, that's a difficult one. The, the, the sales companies do cause quite a bit of chaos with stallions. And all of a sudden, somebody who comes in and buys their mare they say, well, these are the stallions that Magic Millions or Inglises or whoever are telling us that will get into their sales. Well, we have to go to that. Well, it becomes a problem. Uh, then they do overmake mares to try and, uh, you know, make the sales. It creates a good opportunity for, you know, the association to get involved and, and have a say in that decision-making, that catalogue process, really, doesn't it? If if you guys are looking at certain types of horses or you know that you, know, you want a certain type, you're looking at catalogues and they're not there. Is there, an, is there room for some influence there to, to help shape the catalog? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Obviously um, all of the, all of the guys in the, um, in the uh, FBAA, they, they all have their own conversations with the agents and the guys they get along with at the sales companies. Um, and I'm sure along the way, there'll be discussions about certain stands that we're not seeing in sales or numbers of in sales um, and, and that'll be for various reasons. And they don't always get it right. Like th that's not the be all and end all, but their job is to sell the most expensive yearlings they can put their hands on. So we, we understand that. But sometimes breeders get a bit carried away and say, well, that's the sort of horse I have to use. And that's where, where that over mating comes. And you, and you have to explain to people, you're much better to be in the top 20% of a stallion than you are to be in the bottom 20%. doesn't matter what the horse is. So um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's one of the flaws that we see a lot. Um, and it's something that you have to work very hard with with owners because obviously, um, you know, nobody nobody wants to be told that their mare's not good enough to go to a stallion or they won't get a result by sending it to a certain stallion. So, let's dig a little bit deeper and, and look at stallions now in particular, and and that selection process. Uh, we all get caught up in the you know the sexy ads and the commercial side of it, pushing you know racetrack success and son of a whoever and all this sort of thing. You know. The marketing campaigns and the and the media campaigns that go in behind these horses are are enormous. Uh, Boomer, there's more to it than that, though, isn't there? Like the confirmation of a stallion is is critically important to to what it's going to produce. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where um, you know majority of the members in the FBAA work the yearling sales quite heavily, the weanling sales as well, and you know, start forming opinions on stallions on what the type they're throwing, and that. That plays a big part into how you mate your mares, especially these younger stallions. Um, until you get a, a firm opinion on a stallion on, on say, what their weaknesses are or what their strengths are and, and how to um, whether complement that with the mare or make up for something that the mare's lacking. Um, yeah, those are things that you, you really have to you know, put into the pot when you're doing your matings. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible, long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers, and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. 
Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at The Stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Are there certain, I guess, characteristics that certain stallions will leave more often than not? Like, I guess Fastnet Rock's one that comes to mind. He can leave that big sort of goofy-looking head. But do you have a little notebook of... of repeat characteristics that you see in progeny from certain stallions? I think, um, fortunately, while I'm still young enough, my memory's intact. Um, <laughs> later in life... You're saying probably, Neil's got the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably wish later in life that I'd written some of this stuff down. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's... Because you're doing it day in, day out, it just becomes it just becomes um, part of your knowledge base. It's... Um, so, and, and those are the things you draw on when you are doing the matings. It's, um, you know, obviously the, the type, like um, Jenk was saying, types very important, not only for a commercial outcome, but also, you know, you see it at the racetrack generally, the, the, the good performers in the family are the, the stronger, you know, more dominating ones of that, um, of that mare. So you, you're trying to produce that type, but not at the cost of, you know, considering the genetics and, and how that um, does make up the, you know, the whole picture. And, of course, once they start racing and winning, the, uh, the rule book goes out the window to a degree, doesn't it? Like I've heard sort of anecdotally people talking about Fastnet Rock in the early days and a lot of his legs were not correct and you'd look at them like that from the, from the, the chest up sort of thing or I'm invincible just being a, an early producer of just plain bay horses they weren't necessarily standouts or anything like that they were just solid horses and you look at what's happened with both of those stallions that you kind of get to know that all right this is what they look like but this is what yeah they absolutely do. And you have to be forgiving once once you know you have to you know at the start when there's that unknown you're trying to you know, stick to your rules and 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 that confirmation and, and each you know each agent will have different views on on the type of horses they like. Um, but once a stallion's proven to be successful and, you, and you've got a, a database to draw on in terms of what that stallion, you know, the successful progeny that stallion look like, um, yeah, you have to be forgiving when you come to the yielding sales um, and look at those stock. And, and also in the same instance, when you're breeding to them, you know, you have to factor that in and, and know that, um, you know, certain, some, some of those top stallions, the legs might not come out great, but the chances that they'll be a good runner are quite still quite high. There's lots of theories about, you know, what produces a good horse and what, you know, what aspects. And we've talked a lot about type and, and confirmation today, but I, you can't help but think of you know, guys like Tessio and some of those American genetic analysts that looked at those early pedigrees and looked at those breeding back to, to dominant mare sort of theories and all those sorts of things. Are they still factors in, in the process of planning a mating that, that you gentlemen both consider? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Shark. It's, it's, um, there's no doubt genetics plays a, a very large role in it. And, and some of it is probably more the history of this is what's worked before and 
you know, we should stick to a lot of that. There's there's no reason to be charging away from that. Um, and it's it's the balance of those things, isn't it? You know, like the, the, the type is what sells a horse, but it's no good selling great types if they're not genetically um, balanced or, or whatever it is that each person looks for. So, you know, I give great credit to those people who spend hours and hours and hours. I, I'm not smart enough probably to, to do all that. I know the obvious nicks and, and I've got a great friend who um, I, I converse with at different times on what the hell I should be doing when I get stuck with um, some of those matings. But um, I, I think there's I, I equally probably is the genetic side of um, of what we do is, is the type. The, the type is, as I say, it's what drives the sale of horses and the athletic you know, appearance of a horse. But after that, it's, it's the things that we can't see or can't determine. And a lot of that is the genetics for sure. That's why horses make champion stands. They've, they've got a genetic X factor or something about them that makes them. And we, we see stallions every every year, every every crop you'll see a stallion, you go, wow, I didn't expect to see that. You know, like how, how did he happen? Um, and that's things that we can't see and that's, that is what genetics is. Are there tools out there that, that agents use regularly or, or more so than others for that genetic analysis that sort of make that, that part of life easier? Because as you say, it is time consuming. And, you know, I caught Rick Jamison for a moment at, at the English broodmare sale recently and got talking to him and started picking his brain about the time he spends on pedigrees. He just shook his head and said, you don't want to know. You don't <laughs> want to know. But surely guys that are out there and girls who are doing the agent work, doing the legwork, you haven't got time to be pouring through pedigrees. So what are the tools that, that agents generally use that are available to the average racing fan that can, you know, they can take out a subscription and start playing around? Oh, look, I think um, the things that we've seen, like um, obviously Louis Mihalik has now, you know, taken over the the, um, the mantle with with what he's doing. Um, I, I think those sorts of people, the the, um, the Mannings and all those genetic people, they should be spoken to, you know, as much as they speak to an agent. Um, I'd love to have the time to do it, um, but they're professionals at it. And, and if they can help narrow a, a, a broodmare owner's view down to, you know, this number of horses and then, I can come in and say, well, those horses aren't going to get you where you want to go in a sail ring or they're not going to get you to where you want to be on a racetrack for these reasons. Hopefully those, you know, various uh, inputs, the advices from different people can can lead somebody to actually ending up in the spot they want to end up in. Yeah, Shark, for me, the, the clients I work with, um, you sort of, you, you do spend a lot of time, you've been involved in the purchase of the mares, you're looking at the, uh, the foals, the stock, talking to their, the managers um, constantly. And you, it's sort of building up this base in your mind throughout the year. And come you know, for the, usually around February, start thinking about, you know, January, February, start thinking about matings. And, um, and the, then, you know, generally I look at the stallions you want to use, you know, the, that suit that client. Some clients are, um, you know, for example, I've got a client in Queensland, Dandine Stud, that are very much focused on producing two-year-olds. Whereas um, other clients are, you know, targeting sales in Melbourne or, or uh, you know, at a, you know, Easter or, or whatnot. So you have a sort of a frame of what stains you want to use, where they fit in that mare's life cycle, and then on type, basing that, um, you know, from what you're seeing the mare's throwing, and, you, and you, you bring that all together. And the, the tool I usually draw on a lot is that, you know, Arion's got a great depth of data there that, um, and a lot of different tools within Arion that you can use just to, you know, try and keep the odds in your favour once you get to that the point of the end, just making sure that you're not going down a line that's been unsuccessful or, um, you know, try and, try and just like we always do, try and keep the odds in our clients' favour. 
Gentlemen, you've shared a little bit of, well, I wouldn't say a little bit, actually, a good bit of, I guess, your IP, that inside knowledge. And we really appreciate that as always, no matter who we have on the short list. But I want to hit you up because there'll be people listening to this that are scratching their heads. They're looking for a maybe a, an option to send their mare to this year. They want a little bit of, look, they want something for nothing. Let's face it, everybody does these days. Could you give us a tip on a stallion that you think is great value or maybe on the cusp of really kicking off something that might just plant a seed for somebody listening out there and get them thinking in a different direction. Boomer, I'll start with you. For me, um, again, like I always love sticking to these proven horses. And the one that I think is probably the best value in Australia and the proven is up here in Queensland, close to both Jank and I and Spirit of Boom. Mm. Um He's got all, all of, you know, he's better mares coming through now. He's sort of toiled away early on, but, um, you know, I think his best, his crop from the increased raise was uh, two-year-olds right now, and they're doing a fantastic job. And compared to the prices of, um, you know, horses in the similar mould out there, I think he's, yeah, he's great value. I can nearly hear Harry and Angus McAlpine high-fiving wherever they are <laughs> <laughs> right now on the back of that. <laughs> what about you, Neil? No, look, I, look, I'd agree with Boomer. I think um, I think we're lucky in Queensland. We've, we've got Spirit of Boom, who's obviously you know our headline horse up here at the moment, um, and he is tremendous value in the market. Um, another horse just just down the road from him, better than ready. Got his first Group One winner the other day. Lots of stakes wins. They go to the races every Saturday and win. Being a little less parochial, um, I, I, look, I think there's some really nice horses coming through the market at the moment. Um, I thought that a stock of written by this year were really nice. Like he'd be a horse I'll bet this year. Exceedance, I think, is a terrifically you know, undervalued horse um, in the market for a horse with his race form, you know, and that's quality race form against the bivouacs, the, you know, the very best horses of his generation. I think he's tremendous value. And a horse I'm going to use this year um, is Castle Vecchio. Um, you know, like, you know, they don't run second in a cross plate. They'll leave sure if they're walkers. So, oh, I want to be on the path of those horses that are really good race horses. I'm sure they'll, you know, they, they give you a great chance um, going forward, those sorts of horses. It's been a great insightful chat as always but before i let you guys go boomer while i've got you uh it's worth probably touching on any news coming out of the fbaa are there any developments or behind the scenes uh conversations that are exciting you at the moment that you'd like to share uh we've got a few few things we've been working on there's um one thing that you know we've the organization's been going for over 30 years now so we've got something in place but we're going to look through that um john ford's put together document on the FBAA's history so I'm compiling that uh, that John's done a lot of work behind the scenes there and getting that together and then we'll recognize some of those members along the way and, and make them honorary life fellows but the, the the big thing that we're really working on right now is a strategic plan for the company and um, yeah outlining you know the direction we're wanting to head in the next uh, you know five years and there's a big emphasis there on education like education pathways for you know, aspiring young people want to become bloodstock agents and even upskilling our current members, um, you know, just to continue that uh, process to, you know, ensure best practices is uh, carried out by our members and, and keep setting that standard for bloodstock agents in Australia and around the world because it's um, we've got a great group of, um, of agents together now and we're, uh, you know, just looking to, to lead the way in this field. I love that education aspect and that nurturing aspect for, you know, young agents. You see so many more young faces around the sales. And I guess part of that's driven by things like Godolphin Flying Start. But I think it's starting to be driven now by the sales companies. Inglis and Magic Millions are also getting a lot of uh, young faces through the place. And 
Yeah, I think that's a that's key for any organisation, isn't it? I know we we struggled with it back in my media days of attracting uh, new blood and and new faces into the game. Uh, weren't quite sure how to do that at the time, but it's great to hear that that's a focus of the FBAA. Yeah, it's it's a thing that um, you know we've got quite a few members that are passionate about as well, and we want to teach uh, younger people coming through that there is you know there's lots of different opportunities in the thoroughbred industry, and if um, this is a path that they'd like to take that we show them the right way, the right way about it and, um, you know, teach them the best practices and, and what's involved to, you know, hopefully one day become a successful agent. Well, Boomer, Neil, that brings us to the end of episode 13 of The Shortlist. Thank you both very much for your time. It was, it was great and I certainly learned a lot. I've been scribbling notes down here as we've gone. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, Mick. Hopefully you can uh, breed a good one this season. Well, fingers crossed. That's what we'll be trying to do. And thanks to everyone at home for listening or wherever you are tuning into this podcast. And remember, if you'd like assistance with anything related to the purchase or trade of bloodstock in Australia, or if you're a young aspiring agent, you want to get in touch with a member to find out how you can have a career in the game, visit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBA member. Mm-hmm.